does a child cultivate an understanding of humanity? How do they learn kindness, empathy, and respect for others? Every individual must learn what it means to be human. And early childhood is when this learning begins. What matters most for our youngest children is how we are with them. They're following their leaders. I'm Judy Jablon, founder and executive director of Leading for Children. At Leading for Children, we support adults so they can be effective models because for children, every moment counts. We have developed the Humanity First model to create thriving communities for us and children. We practice 11 simple rules that guide us in ensuring children's success now and in the future. Last month, we examine the rule of open relationships and interactions. And today, let's think about the next simple rule, trusting relationships and interactions. And I'm so excited that to join me in this conversation are my friends, Nicole and Casey. Nicole, can you introduce yourself? Hi, Judy, and hello to everyone listening. My name is Nicole Parks, and I am the Deputy Executive Director at Leading for Children, and I am happy to be a part of this conversation today, and I'll pass it to you, Casey. Hi, I'm Casey. I am a teacher at Jubilee Cooperative Preschool in Ridgeland, South Carolina, and I have had the beautiful experience of getting to work with Nicole and Judy when I lived in Alabama as a part of the as a part of the Department of Early Childhood Education. And I'm excited to be here to talk about trusting relationships. We're so happy, Casey, to have your perspective. And Nicole, I look forward always to hearing your story. So let's get started. You know, as I was thinking and planning for this conversation, I thought about how, for me, trusting is so personal. And so I thought we could start off just by thinking about what trust means to each of us. So we should give ourselves a moment to think. And when someone's ready, get us started. I think trust to me feels like when you know you can be your authentic self. You know that you can interact with another person and trust that they're going to listen to what you have to say and they're going to value your perspective. And they know how to engage with you in a way that makes the interaction a positive one. You know, you don't ever regret leaving those conversations. Thank you for that, Casey. I think for me, trust is all about that feeling of, of safety. And I mean, more so than a physical safety, but like an emotional and mental safety. I see it almost like being an interaction or a relationship where I feel my ability to be my most unfiltered self. Like I, I know that I can be fully who I am in a space where I can trust that person to not judge me, but to fully embrace me as I am. And that I know that in this space, I'm, I'm secure and I'm okay. And so that's what it means to be in a trusting relationship for me, I think it really is about that, that safe space. I'd love to add something different. I think instead, what I'm going to do is just highlight and replay because the beauty of the two perspectives that you offer give me 
so much dimension to what trust means. Casey, when you started, the first word you used was listen. And I think for all of us, feeling seen and listened to is like the best gift ever. And I think when you said, you ended by saying, when you leave the interaction, you have no regrets. I, I mean, you touched my heart in like the deepest possible way when you said that, because I think that sense of feeling seen and listened to, it just lifts me up. And, and, and I think that it, it blows me up almost, you know, and then both, it puffs me up in the most wonderful way. And of course you use the word value. And I think part of being seen and heard for me is feeling that someone else is recognizing my value. So thank you for that. You gave beautiful vocabulary to a feeling that I was holding. And then Nicole, of course, the word that I had as like my word was safe. And you said, it's that feeling of safety. And then you embellished it by saying emotional safety. And, you know, I think we often think of safety as out of physical harm and emotional harm is like the worst because like there's no boo-boo that you can put a Band-Aid on. And, you know, you and I have gotten to know each other in a way where we've shared, you know, the emotional hurts that even if they happen to us in childhood, you know, we're still working on them because there isn't that Band-Aid or the skin doesn't heal in the same way inside as it does, you know, on the outside. And then I think the last thing you said when you said, I can be my unfiltered self and the other person embraces me for who I am, I am secure. And I guess I just would like us to all sit with, with the beauty of that vision of what it feels like to trust. And I think that we describe both thoughts about trust and also feelings about trust. And and it's interesting to me because trust is both cognitive and emotional. You know, we said consistent, dependable, sincere, accepted, valued, emotionally and physically safe. So I guess I'd like to just invite either of you to comment on this idea of this, the thoughts we have about trust and then the feelings we have, and if there's anything else you want to draw out or highlight. I think the first thing that comes to mind, and I was actually thinking about this over the weekend as I was interacting with my grandson on the telephone, is this idea or reminder to self that this, the way we think about trust, that that's formed early in childhood, right? And so it really brings home to me the importance of how we are with children and how they experience us and how important it is that we show up in a way that's trustworthy, not only for their physical safety, for their emotional safety as well. Because when I think about childhood, that's the time, I think that is the time when you feel most freest to try things, to take risks, 
to seek opportunities to do things differently. And when I think about some of the words that we've used here, hearing Casey talk about, you know, it being a positive interaction and not having any regret, feeling seen and listened to, this idea of being able to be your full self. And I think about, you know, that child that jumps off of something and how does the adult respond? You know, do we understand that they're taking a risk and that they're not trying to hurt themselves or scare us? How do we react? Do we react in a way that they feel emotionally safe, that they feel seen for who they are and what they're trying to do? And so it just really made me think about how this is really cultivated during the children's early years and how important it is that we're mindful of that. Not that we'll be perfect. I think as adults, though, we do have a responsibility to really be mindful of the impact, the lasting impact that we're making on children. There's so much beauty in what you just said, Nicole, and it's such an exquisite illustration of this idea of cognitive and emotional. Because for the our youngest kids, first, it's feeling. And then it's thoughts. And so our sense of responsibility may be visceral, may be emotional on some level, but it's mostly about kind of our, our practical or our logical or our thinking mind, which makes us go, don't do that. Whereas if we can do it in the spirit of, okay, you know, my hands are here to catch you or whatever it is to stay with their feeling of excitement and being able to trust the world, then they can move from a place of the visceral or the feeling of the world is safe for me to being able to discern what's a good risk and what's not such a good risk, but not to have that terror, that inhibition, that sense of, I can't try something. I totally agree. It's, it, I mean, trust is fundamental. You know, I mean, it's, it's something you do have to work at and it's so putting in that groundwork is incredibly important, especially when you're, you know, teaching children and, and cause you're right. Like I kept thinking when you kept saying safe space, Nicole, and how fundamental trust is because you want children to be able to come back to you. Like you don't ever want to be in a position where children don't feel safe coming to you, you know, and the way that you do that is by building and, and making your, your space safe and secure. And they know that they can take risks. And that's because our reactions are coming from a place of understanding that that is developmentally appropriate for children to be testing the boundaries and jumping off things. And that's our job to be able to, you know, is that safe? And having conversations, I have found that most children will react better to having a conversation and working it through than just by being that reactive, no, don't stop, you know? And that fundamental relationship makes it where they do come back and ask for help when they need it. And they are also then teaching other children what they, what they know, and that gives them a sense of purpose. And confidence in their abilities that they can handle those things. And like you're saying, Judy, discern 
what's a good risk and what's not a safe risk and things like that. But that fundamental building of the trusting relationship, I mean, it's incredibly important. And that starts at infancy. So we know that the research tells us that children's brains develop in the context of trusting relationships with the adults around them. The three of us share a passion for early childhood education. That's, you know, what we've committed to as our work. We're also parents and aunts and siblings and cousins and neighborhood friends. And there are so many children in our everyday experience. And we've also been children. (laughs) And we also are adults who continue to take risks and who continue to want to be robust in the world. And so when in my intro, when I said, you know, we're models for them, when we are able to trust the other adults in our world, we're modeling for children what trusting relationships look like. And you said, Casey, trust is fundamental. And I was thinking about the expression, trust has to be earned, trust has to be built, trust grows. And, you know, sometimes, Nicole, you've said, do we attribute positive intent to somebody? You know, do we start out trusting because it's a nice thing to do? And then, you know, somebody causes us to mistrust, you know, some of that's temperamental. I'd like us to spend a little time thinking about how we've earned, built, fixed trust. And perhaps we could share examples of how we've built trust with another person. And for this story, I would invite us to think about with another adult because children are watching us. I actually think about a a story that I've shared with colleagues and peers. Ironically enough, it is about a person who is actually now my best friend. So I, many, many years ago, I joined a new staff and I was very excited. And the teacher that they paired me with, I really was looking forward to learning with someone and learning in partnership. And we had very different personalities She's very particular. She is very structured. And I was not, you know, and we were just opposite. And things came ahead of all things around some butcher paper. And so when she would tear it, she would tear a straight line. I couldn't tear a straight line if you paid me to do so. And so it would always be crooked and it would drive her crazy. And my perspective was, it's no big deal. I don't understand why you're making such a big deal. And ultimately, we had to learn how to do that thing of ascribing positive intent to each other. I had to consider that she was not trying to demean me in any way or assert power over me by asking me to tear it in a straight line. And she had to realize that I wasn't doing it out of defiance. I wasn't doing it on purpose. I simply could not tear a straight line. And one day, just in the middle of a common back and forth about 
the butcher paper in front of the children that's in our classes, we just kind of stopped because the children literally were looking at us. They literally were looking at us. And so we stopped, we made an unspoken agreement. And then each day from there, we started step by step. We started with greeting each other in the morning with a smile. We started with calling each other by our names instead of, hey, we started having conversations at nap time. And we slowly begin to really trust each other. And it goes back to that acceptance and embracing as their full selves. Did I ever tear the paper straight? No, I didn't. I didn't. But she was able to embrace me as I was, and I embraced her as she was. And so I understood it was very important to her. So I would try, and she would see my trying. And so we built trust with each other. And I would say for the children, there was one child in the class, I almost called his name, didn't want to do that. And afterwards, this was probably months afterwards, we'd gotten ourselves together as adults. He said to me, you didn't like Miss Venus. And it really struck with me. And I was like, of course I do. And he was like, you didn't. And I was like, she is one of my dearest friends. And at that point, she was becoming a dear friend. And so I just remember that, and, and I refer to that often, and we laugh about it now, but in retrospect, it really was that part of that trusting each other is seeing each other, what you talked about, Casey. And so we had to quiet our own assumptions about each other enough so that we could see each other and we could build that trust. There's so much in your story, Nicole. The piece, I think that I want to highlight first is how our differences as small as they are can undermine trust and cause so much discomfort and like unpleasantness and that the smallest of difference can become a wall that prevents possibilities. And lucky, lucky for both of you that you finally found the humor in it, that you moved past it. And all these years later, you know, you get to be best friends. Every time I hear that story, it resonates so strongly with me because I know that in my life, perceiving somebody as judging me undermines the possibility of trust. And that it's so big and so visceral that the feeling creates all these thoughts that prevent trust from growing. And so your story is like this golden nugget of, can we look past those differences and realize that they don't define us? I think there's a part of me that like, what I hear that was really important about it too is finding a solution forward, right? Like you both realized that something was happening and that it wasn't conducive to having a positive impact between each other, nor between the children in your classroom, knowing that they are looking to you for the example. And you actually sat down, acknowledged that there was an issue 
and found ways to move forward, which probably felt very awkward in the beginning where you're like, oh, this isn't exactly how we normally interact with each other. But you know what? We've aired it out. We've decided that we're going to change the way that we're approaching the situation and then look at the outcome. Again, there's never going to be a regret from finding a way and finding a solution to move forward in a positive manner. Like that's, that's so important. Thanks for that summary, Casey, and, and also for highlighting the emotional contagion in that story. You know, we use emotional contagion to sort of describe what happens to the environment. And you pointed out that those kids were watching mm -hmm. and they saw it get better too. Casey, we know you have a long list of, of really interesting stories on this front. Is there one you'd like to share about how you build trust with another person and kind of what happened? Yeah, I'm thinking about like my experience the past couple of years has been completely uprooting my life and moving somewhere where I didn't know anybody. And, you know, for the past seven years, I had been at the same school with the same people. And it's it's different that 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 relationships are already there. You already knew those people for a long time. Um, and this was something that was completely new for me to be somewhere where I didn't know anybody. And it was also different with the community that we were working with. And so my coworker background on her a little bit was this was her very first time in early childhood. She had never taught in it. She had always worked with older children, typically middle school, high school students. And so she was looking to me. So potentially that could have been me being in a position of power, right? And being able to tell her, no, that's not what we do. We do this. We don't do that. And having those little parts of it. And instead I made a point, you know, we talk about practicing the pause and being able to like give her the safe space of asking questions and why is it that this is what we're doing? And, and then being able to like have conversations with her about well, what do you think? And giving her the ability to try something even if I knew that it probably wasn't going to work, you know? But that's all about learning. So it, it was very much a, a building a trusting relationship that way because she knew that I wasn't gonna be that person for her. I wasn't going to be someone that was constantly telling her what she was doing was wrong. She knew that I was gonna be someone who she could come to and I was gonna listen and understand her perspective and what her thoughts on it were coming from a perspective of completely fresh eyes to the field. And the other part of it was, you know, Nicole, you talked about the children are watching. They are always watching, even when you don't think they're listening because they're not looking at you. They are hearing what's happening around them in a conversation you don't think that they're listening to. And so we, at the end of the year, had 14 students, just opened a brand new school. Half of those children were strictly Spanish speaking. No English was spoken at home. Background on me, I took six years of French, wasn't helpful. Background on my coworker, she lived in Germany for seven years and she adopted her daughter from Tanzania. So German and Swahili certainly don't help. So we were at a disadvantage when it came to speaking the same language with these children. So you want to talk about that much more of these children were looking at us as like, I, I, this is the only way I know how to understand what's happening is by body language and about the way that these two adults are interacting with each other. And, you know, we had fun. So they had fun. It was one of those things that I feel like, you know, you wonder how that would have looked if she and I had not had that trusting relationship. Because starting a school is hard, especially when you don't speak the same language as the majority of your students. 
there's a lot of obstacles that are in your way of being successful as you navigate new ideas and new starts. So I, I'm so grateful and I'm thankful that like, that's the way it was. And that was the intention of it was to build that with her. So now those students felt safe and felt comfortable, which potentially could have been a very stressful situation for them. You know, what am I doing here? Who are you? I don't know you. I don't even understand what you're saying. So, I mean, I think that that was, it's an active effort for sure to learn from another person and have someone learn from you. I think that that's a lot of trust that goes into that. I think when I listen to you both, the word intentionality comes into my mind. You said, practice the pause, Casey. In your story, Nicole, you said, we actually stopped. And I think for me, as I listen to this and I reflect back on my own experiences, I'm so aware of, you know, the moments when someone helped me to trust, when my own judgments or preconceptions impeded my ability to let someone trust me. The two-wayness of trust is so powerful. As I think about potentially the, the different audience members that we have with our podcast, I'm thinking about how many different roles all of us play in the world. And Nicole, you've shared stories of building trust with Gracie's teachers. Casey, you've shared stories of building trust with a family member. I guess I'd like to invite us to think about how, when it's a little tough, what has worked to begin to build that bond that allows a partnership to grow so that children benefit from experiencing the partnership between home and the setting where they spend their time either in childcare or in school. I think I'd connect to something, Casey, that you said, and that is, you didn't say those words, but you talk so much about considering the perspective of your colleague. And I think that's one of the first things that I fall back on is reminding myself that my view isn't the only view and that in this situation there is someone else on the other side with their own view and I have to be willing to consider what it looks like from their side because I find that when I do that I am more likely to be willing to find a place of connection so whether that be recognizing that always we both are concerned about the children. And a lot of times I'll look for tangible connections, whether it be saying, oh, I love the color of your shirt. That's one of my favorite colors. Or, oh, those are unique earrings. I'd like to know where you got them from. Or if I hear that someone's parent or a colleague collects a certain thing like birds or something, figurines, I'll try to go out of my way to find one. And it's just this idea I recognize for myself that although the strategy is find a common connection and build from there, I am typically only able to do it 
if I consider that that person has their own perspective. If I just look for mine, I'm not willing to do it usually. Hmm, beautiful. I totally agree. I'm the kind of person that if I can't understand something, it's hard for me to navigate how to handle a situation. And I feel like the more details and information that you have, it gives space to find the best solution going forward. So if there is any kind of, I mean, if you're building relationships, that's hundred percent important as you navigate, you know, how you can interact with another person, if you have all of the details, but also like if there are problems that arise, getting the, as many details and information as you can, you're more informed, right? So if you're as most informed as you can be, then you're going to make the best solution or make the best decision regarding what's happening between two people. You know, we just did this beautiful loop <laughs> because when we opened the first thing you said, Casey, when I asked the question, what does trust mean to you? Your first word was listen. And you talked about feeling like somebody valued your perspective. Nicole, you just invited us 30 minutes later to think about how to appreciate the perspective of another and that sometimes it's hard to find that place of connection when you stay in your own perspective. And then Casey, you said, I need to understand. And one of the five commitments of optimistic leaders is activate curiosity. This is me being an adult, wondering why it's sometimes hard for me to trust. And I can't speak for the world, but I don't trust when I feel uncertain. When I don't know, I feel uncertain and I get paralyzed. And I think in this conversation, we just came to when we feel uncertain, if we activate curiosity, we open the door to building trust. And when we use curiosity, we're modeling for children what's possible. And so in building trusting relationships and interactions, we understand together today that trust means feeling seen, feeling heard, feeling valued. The research tells us trust enables authenticity. Trust enables comfort, confidence, and deeper engagement for us and for children. Any other thoughts? I definitely feel like trust, it elevates and it builds people up. And I think that that's the goal, right? With interactions with other people is to build them up. It's so easy to tear down. It's so easy to come from a place of judgment. And it's very much more of an active effort to be intentional with the impact you want to have. How is it? What outcome do you want from this? I always hope that that's what people want when they interact with me, because I, I don't want to feel like, man, I'm sad I came to you. You know, this, this wasn't great. You know, I'm very much more like, yeah, let's move forward. Let's, let's go and let's grow and let's have that positive interaction. Like people want that. They, they need that. I think I am really holding on to Judy, something that you said when you said the smallest differences can create walls. 
that undermine the possibilities to trust. And I just think that the more children see us in trusting relationships with each other, and the more they experience us as being trustworthy and trusting, then we create this generation that because they've experienced trust and they've seen it in action, they are more likely and able to go out into the world and themselves be trusting and trustworthy. And I genuinely long for a world where everybody is able to act that way with each other, because I do think that would make a difference. A world of humanity, of empathy, compassion, and respect, dignity for each person. So we say that regardless of our role in a child's life, we help them learn to trust and explore, develop and learn. And I think through our stories, we talked about, you know, how we choose to be when we're with and around children, our actions and our words, we're models for how to be in the world. And that's what you just shared, Nicole. We're constantly sending messages that shape how children see themselves, others, and the process of learning. Children are watching us. They're following their leaders. And humanity starts with each one of us. Thank you all so much for joining us. We look forward to seeing you next month when we'll talk about two-way relationships and interactions.